This week on the podcast, a little bit different, I'm interviewing a friend of mine, Nick Fuggle. Nick is an associate professor in rheumatology at the University of Southampton. He's also one of the organisers of a clinical AI interest group at the Alan Turing Institute. Now, Nick has got some amazing insights, obviously, into how AI is going to change the medical industry and in a clinical setting particularly. And I think we all find this interesting, don't we? Because we're all going to have medical stuff coming up if we haven't got it coming up already and we're interested in how AI is actually going to make it better and make us live longer and fix our illnesses faster or help diagnose things faster and Nick gives some great insights here into some real world situations where AI is being implemented. I'm going to be doing a bunch of interviews over the next couple of months with people working in different sectors and how they are trying to implement AI into their workflows because I want instead of just giving the news and the headlines and like I'm saying all the positive hype around AI I want to be able to give people some ideas and looking at people's real lives about how they're really implementing AI and how people are really finding AI is impacting their industry. So this is the first one of a couple. I'm probably going to drop them during the week on a Wednesday and I'll carry on with the regular podcast that drops on a Sunday. I hope you enjoy this interview with Nick Fuggle. This is AI for Everyone, a weekly roundup of the most interesting stories in AI and tech for non-tech people who like to keep themselves informed and educated about the latest developments from around the world. I'm Miles Dillon and I believe that AI is going to have a positive impact on our lives, but those people who continually learn and adapt to the changes it brings will be the ones who benefit the most. Let's get into it for this week. Hey Nick, I've already introduced you on the podcast you know, in the build up to this, but do you want to just say a little bit about what you do day to day? Because I don't really know what you do day to day. I used to know, I think, but now you're doing a lot of AI stuff as well. And a lot more research. Are you seeing patients? Are you researching things? Are you? It's a really good question. Um, Mars. And, um, you know, obviously we all wonder what we're up to day to day sometimes, but I am a rheumatologist. So, um, I spend a lot of my time seeing patients who have got different kinds of musculoskeletal conditions so that's conditions involving joints bones or muscles or some elements of autoimmunity which is when the body fights itself and but i'm a a clinical academic which means that i spend some of my time doing that clinical work and then some of my time doing research as well and some of the research that we're working on at the moment is in the area of computer vision which is one of the fields of artificial intelligence and we're using that in order to try and look at an image and then predict what someone's going to be like in the future. So how their joints are going to be when they're older, whether their bones are going to be thick or thin and liable to fracture. So that kind of stuff. Okay, cool. And just, I'll just say, I'm said in other episodes, computer vision is to do with the camera of a computer or computer picking up images and being able to actually identify what's going on there. And what's the like, are you able to explain what the AI element of that is? I find with AI stuff, it's just everything that's computery is called AI now. But is there an AI element to that that's more advanced than a computer just showing photos? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the um, so I think when I first heard about computer vision, it was uh, the example of computers being able to identify cats in images. And I just couldn't get my head around the kind of abstract con- abstract concept of how our computer was able to invest commas C, and um, one of the ways that I learned to understand it is to think not really about what we can see, but about what the computer is actually seeing. So, if we take a black and white image, that image is actually 
made up completely of pixels. And for each of those pixels in a black and white image, it's graded between zero and one, depending on whether it's black or white, and then it's gray if it's an, any of those numbers in between. And so if you think about that image no longer being the different black and white and gray pixels, but being just an, a big matrix of numbers. So a matrix being when you basically write numbers down in a square or a rectangle, you can basically then treat it as a big number and therefore subject, subject it to some of the really complex mathematical analyses that are involved in artificial intelligence through processes like deep learning or, or machine learning. Okay. Okay. So it's basically to do with like the huge amount of data and not uh, humans or like regular computer stuff, not being able to process huge, huge, huge amounts of data. And yeah, I actually been able to process large amounts of data, which it wasn't able to do before. Absolutely. And, and it's okay. one of the reasons why computer vision is so massive in healthcare is because there are enormous data sets of digital images that are ripe for these kinds of analyses for and and you know we are finding that ai is very good at spotting those kinds of patterns okay um spotting lung nodules for example or you know um abnormalities on mammography okay so yeah so from that do you want to just say now just i've listened to a few of your talks you're involved with the alan turing institute yeah, I don't really know loads about the Turing Institute. I know it sounds very highbrow and very like clever, but do you want to just say <laughs> you must be very clever? Fact that they've asked no, you to do stuff. No, no, <laughs> no, no I think no, you are. There are people who weren't there, but I, I wouldn't count myself in their number. No, but no, they, you're very modest. Basically, the UK's data science and artificial intelligence academic hub. So Sorry. there are various universities that have um, signed up to be members of the Alan Turing Institute, and based down in Southampton, that's one of the that's one of the partner universities. And essentially, it's just, you know, as I said before, this hub, this unit where people can go and interact. Um, and it's got various different facets, big grants that come out of it, um, but also these things called interest groups where people cluster around a particular interest. And um, one of the groups that I helped organize is the Clinical Artificial Intelligence Interest Group. Okay. So it's a group of, it's it involves, you know, anyone who's interested and the deployment of artificial intelligence in healthcare can can sign up. So in that sphere, I think people who listen to this podcast have heard me talking about some of the things that AI is going to bring into medical areas, into all yeah. the different things. I've talked about doctor in a box where you can just go in and there's actually no doctor there. That's something which is being rolled out in some parts in California. But yeah. it's great to talk to you to see how you have seen AI being used in a clinical setting. Um do you want to just tell me a few things that you find really interesting or you've yeah. you want to tell us about or our listeners about? Definitely. Well, I think that, I mean, obviously there's lots of, there are lots of amazing and eye-catching innovations in healthcare in the AI space. It's, they're still making their way towards clinical deployment. So there are at the moment about, I think about just over 10, um, between 10 and 15 AI tools that are in some level of deployment in the NHS. And the two that are furthest ahead in that um, are eStroke and Rapid AI, both of which work in stroke. So okay. stroke being when, you know, a, a, a blood clot or a bleed happens within the brain. 
And it leads to these changes on a CT scan, which is the scan that's used to look at the brain, that can be really quite subtle. Um, but a changes in the intensity of those pixels we talked about earlier when we were talking about computer vision. And therefore, the computers are very good at spotting those changes in texture or in color that could be indicative of the presence of a stroke. So it helps the identification of those. Okay. Yeah. Would that be something that it would be difficult for a human to look at and notice those changes? Or is it possible to see that? Or is it, what, what, what's the it difference is, there? Yeah, it is possible for a human to see it, but um, but you'll get different you know, different special and um, different, sorry, radiologists who are specialized in that to different extents. Okay. And you'll get clinicians who are specialized in it to different extents. And I think what this, these AI tools do, are they bring the level up for people who aren't specialists. So they help them to be able to identify areas that may be abnormal and to improve, it's essentially improve the diagnosis of stroke in these people. And it's really important that because certain types of stroke caused by blood clots are treated with clot busting medications um whereas but you don't want to give those to someone who's having a stroke because they've got a bleed on their brain because that will make the bleed much worse so that's it helps with understanding what the cause of the stroke is and therefore importantly what the treatment is going to be i mean one thing that some people are saying at the moment is that in the next couple of years it will it will obviously each country will make this rule themselves but it'll start becoming almost become like clinical negligence if a doctor diagnoses something without the use of AI alongside them, if they mm. just look at images and they're like, oh yeah, you, you haven't got cancer. If they haven't used an AI model to help identify that as well, people will be like, no, no, you can't do that anymore. Is that, do you ever hear people talking about that? Is that something which is coming? Well, certainly uh, I definitely hear people talking about it. It's not here yet. And ultimately when it comes down to any decision, that is made using these tools it's the ultimate responsibility of the clinician that's making the decision that's mm -hmm. where the responsibility lies you know in this ecosystem i think we're a long way away at the moment from someone being told they've been they've been negligent for not using an artificial intelligence tool partly because we're not really near enough to deploying them yet i can't i, I don't know what the future may hold but i think but if we if we hold on to that the concept of a um a clinician being responsible for their decision regardless of whatever tools they use in order to come to that decision then i think we're in a safe place at the moment okay that's quite interesting because a lot of the news that i hear is like very forward tech people saying this is happening now and a lot of the stuff mm. around ai is like the next two years, things are going to change so rapidly. But then I'm often thinking about that phrase, which is that you yeah. overestimate what you can get done in a year and yeah, underestimate yeah, yeah. what can happen in 10 years. So thinking about the future in 10 years time, and probably I just want to talk a little bit about most people's engagement with doctors is going to be in a GP surgery. Over the next couple of years or over the next 10 years, can you have you heard about stuff? Is there things that you've seen where you think, wow, that's really going to change people's first engagement with healthcare or first engagement with the NHS? Um, and and is that actually going to be really useful to reduce? I mean, I, I was trying to get an appointment recently for something really benign, and I just decided, just oh, fine, I'm just going to not even bother dealing with it because it's so long to get an appointment. Mm -hmm. But is there a potential that AI is going to reduce this kind of wait time? So I think yes. Um, and I think one of the things I'm most excited about 
is actually reducing the administrative burden on clinicians. So mm. actually a lot of time is spent with note-taking and filling out forms and ordering investigations. And these are all things that AI can be really usefully deployed in a kind of clinical administrative assistant. And okay. there's a, um, so Microsoft been working on this, um, Microsoft Nuance. They've produced a, a tool which sits on a mobile phone. So if I was going to, if I was your GP, and I was going to see you, you'd come in through the door. I'd then say, Miles, great to see you. Um, do you mind if I just um, record this consultation? I tap a button on my phone and just leave it on the side. We then go through the consultation. Um, I say, thank you very much. See you later. Out you go. I switch off the recording and then immediately a letter is then produced, which summarizes the entire content of our consultation. Yeah. And it may even have the capability of ordering relevant investigations that we've discussed yes. or making suggestions for investigations yes. that I might want to order as a result of what we've talked about. So if we talked about, you know, you having a cough or something, it might be, it might suggest, oh, do you think you should do some blood tests to check Mars's levels of inflammation? Or do you want to do a chest X-ray to see if actually this, what we thought was an upper respiratory tract infection has actually moved lower and is down on the chest and on the lungs that we need to do a chest X-ray for, for example. Uh, and may even suggest some kind of diagnoses that I hadn't even thought yeah. of, but that yeah. might be related to other things that it knows about your history from looking at your electronic medical record. So, you know, that kind of clinical AI assistant, I think that's a really exciting space. And I think that we're probably not that far away yeah. from that being deployed. Yeah, that's cool. But I uh, definitely, I think everybody's experienced that when you're in the doctors and they say, I'll oh, do a blood test. And there's this huge form where the doctor is ticking all the different things the blood test is going to test for. And that she's, the last time I had one, the lady was ticking all of them. Should we do that? Yeah, yeah. May as well check for that. Vitamin D? Yeah, we'll check for that. I was like, okay, so an AI assistant could summarize that. And then you could just say, do you want to test for all these things? Tick, you know, because yeah. that would be amazing. And that would really reduce time in there. And also it would it would reduce time, but it would also mean that I as a clinician was looking you in the eyes and I was yeah. communicating directly with you rather than having to multitask and communicate with you whilst looking at a screen ordering all those blood tests not maintaining eye contact mm. when maybe you'd come in you wanted to talk about so something else as well which was really troubling you but was boiling below the surface and actually we never quite get to that because that that degree of communication isn't isn't there because we're being drawn away to look at a screen in order to ensure that we've been through the administrative burden of the consultation mm. yeah that's really cool i can really see that being a big change and in the same way as you know, you're in the um in your last podcast, you were talking about you know the concept of people who um AI won't take your job, but people who use AI will take the jobs of people who don't. Mm. In 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 medicine, we say that you know AI won't take jobs, but what it will do will is it will free doctors up to be able to spend more quality time with patients, mm. and that can only be a good thing. So probably moving on to this sort of future question what's something you're that's sort of on the outside of other people's kind of ideas of what ai can do that you can see is like really far down the track mm. that's going to really impact the medical field yeah and i don't think people realize that operations some operations are being done by kind of robotics and prosthetics already yeah. tell us something that's like going on in the future that you're like this is going to be wild when this happens 
Yeah, I mean, there definitely, there are definitely, uh, you know, surgical robots that are being used at this moment in the NHS in various wow, different okay. centres. Um, one of the, th- well, I mean, I guess one of the future-looking um, studies that I've seen relatively recently um, was actually performed by Meta, formed using something called EEG, which is, you know, if maybe in a film you've seen someone who's being like having their um their brain waves assessed and there are loads oh, yeah. of different wires coming away from their brain but it's just on the skin it's not kind of it, we're not talk, talking elon musk this isn't injected into the brain or anything um and that gives different a reading of different kinds of electrical signals that are coming away from the brain and so what um meta did was they got a group of about 200 people to read stories or read passages of text whilst they had this EEG on. And then they took the text away and then they asked the people to just think about some of the words that were being said. And it certainly, it was it was a long way away from being perfect, but there was a degree of accuracy in which just from the person thinking of the word, the algorithm was able to look at some of the brain waves and to be able to predict the word that they were thinking of. I mean, that's a really, really exciting prospect when we think of people who've got locked in syndrome, for example, where their body is completely paralyzed and the only way they can communicate is maybe by blinking or something like that. If they were suddenly able to wear an EEG and to produce text, which they could then be voiced for them, that would be an amazing development. Hmm. There are obviously more worrying ways to deploy that technology um which is essentially it seems like a kind of mind reading um but in the clinical space i mean using it for people who are in those kinds of clinical situations would be an absolute game changer um just finally then i wonder a while ago i think it was sort of october or september you were saying that you didn't think that an ai doctor was going to be happening anytime soon partly because the Mm. empathy that an ai model or an ai avatar where you recreate yourself is just not there yet i wonder in the last couple of months have you seen anything which makes you feel like it's moved on so quickly as i what i feel about some ai things especially to do with image generation and video i think last a year ago when chat gpt had just come out suddenly things started moving so quickly and image generation was pretty bad a year ago and now it's getting so, so good. You can't tell the difference. I wonder if things are going to happen in that space where you go to a doctor or you go for an online consultation and it's actually so good that you think, oh, I don't really need to go to the doctor now. And would that, is that something you can see happening that would be a section of medical sort of first contact with the patient? Or is that still such a long way away that doctors are fine and they don't need to worry about that for the time being? Yeah, it's, it's, a really interesting and a, and a very fast moving space. I think the, the area to which, you know, the communication between humans and AI avatars, for example, I think whether the study that, that I probably was talking about was one that was in JAMA, which is one of the, the really big um, medical journals. And what they did was they took a, like a Reddit stream that people put health concerns onto, mm-hmm. and then only clinicians are allowed to respond to that particular you know, to that particular stream. Uh-huh. And they they took some of the questions and they took the answers that had been given by the clinicians and they took those same questions and they gave them to ChatGPT. And then they compared the response from ChatGPT 
to the response that the clinician had given. And they graded it on accuracy and also on empathy. And and that was the study that showed that actually the, the grading for empathy from chat GPT was higher than that for the doctors. The oh, really? issue with that study is that if you look at the Reddit, like the 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 what the clinicians were saying on on uh, on Reddit, it's written in a very different way to ChatGPT. Like particularly at that time, ChatGPT, you know, would be very be quite kind of formal and or obviously no spelling mistakes. And so it was, I think the degree to which you could blind those responses and really assess them. I think is it would be a bit it's it's probably not possible to do that but I think now when you look at companies like Synthesia who are producing these AI avatars that are do seem to to respond to you and um and I I I think that we're probably not that far away from avatars being able to respond to you know in a more calm that to kind of calm their affect or their response if a patient or if not a patient if an individual is you know, is angry or to maybe be calmer and um, mm. more understanding if they look upset. So I think it's definitely an area for expansion in the future. Very cool, Nick. Nick, if people want to see about your work or what you're doing or the Alan Turing Institute, do you want to just give a handoff to people yeah. to if they want to find out more or if they're doctors that are working and listening and they haven't jumped on the AI thing yet? Do you want to just give yeah. a hand? Oh my goodness, any clinicians or anyone working in healthcare or interested in healthcare, feel free to go along to the Clinical AI Interest Group webpage, which is on the Alan Turing Institute website. Um, and we do monthly webinars and um, a whole host of other events. Um, and you're more than welcome to, to sign up to that to learn more. Mars, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much to Nick. Thank you so much to you guys for listening. If you enjoyed that, send it on to someone who's working in the medical sphere. I'm sure it's going to add a lot of value to everything they're doing. Cheers. Bye.